O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time on and forevermore. Um, Good morning. I hope that your heart is calmed and that our time in worship as a family here um, has been uh, peaceful and calming and quieting for your spirit. Uh, My name is Randy, if you're new here, and we're just delighted for the privilege of worshiping with you uh, on this Sunday. Uh, And I'm going to be in a place called the Fireside Room. It's through these glass doors and to the right. And I would love just a few moments of uh, prayer and conversation with you just to meet you if if that's possible after our services. Um, If you are here for the first time, we are in a teaching series. I usually just take through a series of messages, and, and we are on a series Uh, on a section of scripture uh, that's titled the fruit of the spirit and by fruit we mean the harvest of the spirit and how appropriate it is this time of year as we consider the harvest of the Holy Spirit and there are dimensions character qualities that God produces in the lives of believers and we've just been taking One character quality after another. We started with love, love, joy, peace. Today we're going to be talking about peace. That dimension of the Spirit's harvest called peace. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the New Testament book of Galatians. The New Testament book of Galatians. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, there's a copy in the pouch in front of you, and you'll find the New Testament book of Galatians on page 972. 972. And you may take it as a gift from the church if you don't have a Bible. We want everyone to have a copy of Scripture. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read three sections from Paul's letter to the Galatians concerning this dimension of the Spirit's fruit called peace. The first section is found in Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. 3 and 4, then I'll read 5, 22 and 23, and then 6, 12 to 16. Each of these sections concern the word peace. Grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised 
and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. This is the word of the Lord. Peace. Is your soul at peace this morning? Seems to be a rare commodity these days in our country. I read an article this past week titled, Today's Politics May Be Bad for Your Health. No kidding. <laughs> the author of the article, Sumathy Reddy, cited a study published just last month stating that 38% of Americans are experiencing social, psychological, even physical anxiety over today's political climate. So, for instance, an Iowa man is so stressed out, he's asked his psychologist for a higher dosage of his anxiety medication due to the political climate. And then there's a Chicago woman who is so uneasy about politics, she needed two dental implants to deal with her teeth grinding habit. And what about the New York woman who says she suffered her first flare-up of multiple sclerosis in a decade due to political angst? Those who claim allegiance to one team get backlash from those on the other political team. And those who claim no political allegiance get backlash from both teams, pressuring them to pick a side. And political anxiety includes the following Policy issues, economy, immigration, environment, national debt, military intervention. But it also includes character issues, such as corruption, truth-telling, and just plain old decent civil discourse. Americans are worried. I read that article and I thought to myself, isn't it ironic that the wealthiest most powerful, most influential nation on earth would be populated with so many peace-starved citizens. It made me think about us. Where are we today, I'm wondering? On this scale between peace and anxiety, where are you on this scale? Where is your heart how has it been in the past month? More peaceful? More anxious? More worried? More at rest? If you become anxious, what has triggered your anxiety? And what brings you peace? What brings you peace? Maybe we should go to South Korea. Yes, follow me there for just a minute. 
In South Korea, there are some folks who have found peace at a place. So if you fly to South Korea and you go to Seoul, which is population 9.7 million, about an hour from Seoul, Korea, is another city, Hongcheon, population 70,000. 9.7 million, 70,000. And at Hongcheon is a retreat center called Prison Inside Me. Have you heard of it? For $90 a day, you can check yourself into a private prison. $90 a day. Amenities include the following. You get a blue prison uniform, a yoga mat, a tea set, a pen and notebook. You get to sleep on the floor in a single cell, no mirror. For dinner, you get a steamed sweet potato and a banana shake. And for breakfast, you get rice porridge. Prison rules are strict. Uh, no talking with other inmates. No clocks. No technology. No laptop. They will take your laptop. No, no tablet. No cell phones. No technology. 2,000 people have checked themselves in to this place. Huh? And here is what's interesting. At the conclusion of your time, you receive an honorary certificate of parole. <laughs> one inmate remarked, this prison, get this, one inmate said, this prison gives me a sense of freedom. Another said, this is not a prison. The real prison is where we return to. How interesting. Hmm. Anybody here looking for peace? Well, here's the good news. We don't have to go to South Korea. Christianity offers peace. Christianity offers amazing resources. In our anxiety-afflicted culture, Jesus is the safest person for peace. So if you're feeling anxious today, you have come to the right place because we have found a resource that we would like to share with you. Isaiah 43, 2 tells us about Jesus. I love this verse. A bruised reed he will not break. Anybody here feeling bruised today? And then there's the rest of that verse. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Oh, you've come to the right place if you're bruised and if you are smoldering. Jesus will not break you. Jesus will not snuff you out. The resources of the faith give us a unique opportunity to help our anxiety-driven generation. The gospel says that you don't have to stay anxious. The gospel says that change is, in fact, possible. People don't have to sit beneath the crushing weight of anxiety. We don't have to live under angst, tyranny, or rule. Flourishing, rather, can come through the rule of Christ's peace. 
For Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts and be thankful. Peace. Now, I feel like I have to say this. A message like this can sometimes add guilt to already anxious people. And it sounds something like this. If I was only a better Christian, if I was only a more trusting believer, then I wouldn't feel so anxious. And so we begin to feel guilty about our anxiety in a way that produces more anxiety. Let me take the pressure off us, okay? Really, let me do that. Some anxiety is driven by love. And that's a good thing, isn't it? And we want our children to thrive. We love our country and we want it to flourish. In Galatians, Paul is anything but joyful and peaceable. He is on tilt over these believers because he planted these churches with gospel truth. Drawn to mind-boggling legalism, they began to drift from the gospel into scorekeeping. They were obsessing over Hebrew rituals, uh, which have expired in Christ. And we read about some of them in our scripture. Circumcision and dietary regulations and religious holidays. The gospel is that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. But after Paul left, false teachers infiltrated the churches and they began to teach salvation through Christ Plus, and any time you add to Christ, you take away. It's that simple. And Paul doesn't understand why they would follow such false teaching. In fact, he says in chapter 4, verse 20, I, I wish I could be with you and change my tone. I am perplexed about you. Why? Because of love, that's why. Uh, Paul knows where legalism leads. He know, and he knows the end of the road, and it does not end well. And he does not want them to waste their lives. He's been there. He doesn't want them to go there. See, they're not just choosing another expression of Christianity. What they're choosing is anti-Christian. Legalism guarantees anxiety, fear, and worry. And Paul is concerned. So at times, love produces anxiety over the beloved. Uh, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of my anxiety over all the churches. So, so, so don't be so hard on yourself. Part of effective servant leadership is carrying the burden of concern for the spiritual health of others. Don't ever lose that. Get it? Huh? When I say get it, you say got it. I'll say good. Get it? Good. <laughs> this longing for peace is really part of what it means to be human. 
The word peace shows up in every book in the New Testament. You could say that the New Testament is a library of peace. But what is peace? What is peace? Here is peace. Peace is a composed heart. Peace is what's going on in my heart when anxiety and fear do not dominate my heart. Peace is a heart free from the torment of fear. Peace is what's in my heart, not what's out there concerning the weather. See, peace is internal, despite the external. Peace. And, and, and when Paul uses the word peace in Galatians, he's drawing from his Hebrew background. Anybody know the Hebrew word for peace? Shout it out if you know it. Shalom. That's right. Shalom. Shalom. It's a greeting. It's a fare thee well. Shalom. Shalom means peace. And it's, it means freedom and prosperity. Peace in all of its dimensions. Peace. Freedom, prosperity, love, health, well-being, safety. Uh, in fact, in Hebrew, the question, how are you, is literally, what is your peace? What's the stuff of your peace? So peace is the experience of life at its best. Peace is what we sense when our, our children are safe and relationships are flourishing and there's community and sharing and learning, justice, no discrimination, no wars, no economic risks. In Galatians 5.22, peace means nothing missing. Nothing missing. The, the, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I've got all I need because I have Christ. Peace. Peace was God's intent all along. Peace can be found at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. Genesis chapters 1 and 2 paint a portrait of peace punctuated by this phrase, and God saw that it was good. No threats, no dangers, peace among creation, peace among plant and animal life, peace between the man and the woman, peace with God, shalom. <laughs> it's good. Genesis 1 and 2. And then there's Genesis 3. The chapter tells of an intruder, a peace disruptor, a wily serpent who tempted the man and the woman to seek shalom apart from the shalom giver. Now, please understand this. The first sin occurred not because God planted a tree with a do not touch sign immediately when Adam and Eve entered the front doors of Eden. Oh no, I don't see it that way. I see it more like this. In this beautiful, huge garden park of Eden, this garden temple, Eden, a word which means delight, this royal forest, 
this temple garden brimming with beauty and wonder and peaceful delight. I mean, in Genesis chapter 2, you read of rivers and gold and precious stones. Oh, my goodness. God said, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. But there's just, I've got one command, just one. There's a tree over at the back, way at the back on aisle 27Z at the bottom of the shelf. Stay away from there. Don't touch it. Don't eat of its fruit. Everything else is yours. Guess what happened? Yeah, you know what happened. <laughs> they, they munched right to aisle 27Z. Shalom was breached. The man and the woman pursued peace apart from God. And thus their relationships were breached. The blame game. God goes to the man. What's the first thing out of Adam's mouth? The woman you gave me. And then God goes to the woman. Well, the serpent. There's denial. There's scorekeeping. There's breach. There's a breach with the environment. There's weeds and thistles now and thorns, earthquakes, hurricanes. But mostly there was a breach in their relationship with God. Nothing was left untouched by this breach of peace. And we will never find peace apart from the Prince of Peace. Our, our hunger pangs for peace testify to a peace that once existed. But isn't God good? Galatians chapter 1 tells us that God is not content with the rupture of peace. And so he set out to redeem peace. Thus Paul says in verses 3 and 4, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. God is just. God is fair. But do you really want God to be fair with you when you stand before his bench of justice? I don't. I need grace. I need mercy. And God has provided this. He put on flesh in Jesus. He lived without sin. No one could, could rightly charge Christ of sin. They saw him. They watched him. People lived with him. He was, observed. He was an observed man who became a victim of injustice. He substituted himself for us. That's what the phrase, he gave himself for our sins, means. It means that violence was done to an innocent sufferer so that we could experience the peace of God. That's what love does. That's why the fruit of the Spirit begins with love. But here's the deal, and hear me on this. A dead Jesus can't help anyone. A dead Jesus can't bring peace. A dead Jesus can't do a thing. And let me say it this way. Strong words. True words. A dead Jesus can't deliver a soul that's been damned. 
can't. So the Apostle Paul begins Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, with this irrefutable truth. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who what? Raised him from the dead. In the resurrection of the Son of God, God declared to his Son and to us, I approve of what Jesus did. And I am overturning the court of man. The Supreme Court has spoken, and there is nothing more to add to the work of Christ. And the result? Peace. Nothing missing. Is that not good news, church family? It's why we gather here. It's why we sing. It's why we have community. Now, can you see why the Apostle Paul is on tilt? You see why he's anything but peaceable here in his writing on Galatians? This glorious gospel has been twisted and perverted by false teachers who want to add something to nothing missing. Now, why would people do that? Well, we read why in chapter 6, didn't we? Look, verse 12. It is those who want to make a what? Good showing. That's why. They want to boast in you, which is to say they want to boast that they were able to conscript you to their side. And the result? Galatians 5.20, the works of the flesh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. And Paul says in Galatians 6.16 that that's boasting in the flesh and making a good show is never going to bring peace. Paul says in Galatians 6.16, I want peace and mercy to rest on you. But it requires walking, verse 16, by this rule. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. What rule? Look back up at verse 14. You see it? But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you want to brag, brag about Jesus. Now let me teach you how to do that here. Okay? What do we mean by brag? It means to brag. It means to boast. Right? Let me boast a little bit about my family for a minute. Yeah. Oh, I've got two sons. I'm proud of them. 30-year-old. 26-year-old, my older son is an MBA graduate. He serves, he serves honorably in our community as a police officer. He's married to a godly woman, and they have the most adorable children, two grandchildren. Yeah, man. I have a younger son, 
He's earned a master of social work. He is an addictions counselor in the Washington, D.C. area. <laughs> you know how much patience that takes? He's married to a godly woman. My wife teaches English as a second language in our community. And her students are just absolutely crazy about her. Crazy. I mean, she makes banana bread for them. Who does that? And, and, then, and, then, and, then, and then my wife, I mean, she, she, I often come home and she's listening to this talk by this Christian philosopher named William Lane Craig. And he's talking about the cosmological argument and the teleological argument and the ontological argument for the existence of God and, and other Christian uh, apologetical themes. I've been listening to country music on my way home. I mean, my life could be a lot worse. They labor to serve others in their vocations. They love God. They love people. That's bragging. Now, let's just take that trajectory and point it heavenward. Oh, because of God, from Him and because of Him, I am in Christ Jesus. Now, I didn't get myself in. I can't say I jumped in. No, from him, I'm in him. And when God sees me, he sees me through his son. And Christ has become my wisdom and my righteousness and my purity and my adoption. I am, I'm not merely a servant in Christ's kingdom. I am a part of his family. I'm an heir of his kingdom. I'm in God's family. Anything good you see in me comes from Christ. Any righteousness, any wisdom, any fruit, they're gifts. Jesus is it. He's everything. Because of him, nothing missing. Nothing. And the result of this rule, peace. Spirit-induced boasting leads to spirit-produced peace. The peace of Christ rests on those who boast in Christ, you see. Is that not good news? Oh, there's more. So our reception of peace from Christ becomes a vocation of peace through the Holy Spirit. Christ is the peacemaker, the Holy Spirit, the peacekeeper. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to go through hoops of peacemaking skills in order to become. No, that's not what that means. It means this is who you are. You are sons and daughters of the Father in his kingdom. And because you are, this is what you do. This is what children of God do. This is the vocation. So peacemaking is what we do to overcome divisiveness between people. And so when Christ says, pray for those who persecute you, what do we pray? What we, how about the Lord's Prayer? Ask God that you and your adversary would together hallow his name. 
ask that God's will be done over you and your adversary. Ask for today's daily bread that you might share in table fellowship, hopefully with your adversary. Pray for peace. Pray. And then in Matthew 5, 47, Christ gives a specific example of peacemaking. He says, if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? If you just, if you just greet those who are in the family of God, well, how are you different than the world? In other words, if there's a relational rupture, don't fuel the animosity by ignoring and avoiding. Now, that's the comfortable thing to do. The comfortable thing to do is to look away, go the other way, so that you don't have to greet them or see them. But that is not the impulse of the peace-producing Spirit of Christ. Peace-making builds bridges. Peace-making wants reconciliation. Peace-making desires harmony. Romans 12, 18. If possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. So peacemaking makes an effort. Even if the only effort your adversary allows is a greeting. So the peacemaker looks the adversary right in the eye and says, Good morning, Randall. And he says it with a genuine desire for peace. Last week, we saw a, a powerful video about the spirit-produced joy in the life of an 18-year-old who, in a victim impact statement, forgave his brother's killer. Well, I want you to see part two of that story. For it concerns Judge Tammy Kemp and the hug that was heard around the world. Watch this. Tonight we're hearing from the trial judge who surprised us all with this moment in court. You know, Judge Tammy Kemp, she took a lot of heat for that hug. Yeah, she told our Rebecca Lopez why she felt it was important. Can I give her a hug, please? It's the moment that for a few seconds seemed to bring the world together and embrace. Both of John's brother, Brandt, had asked Judge Tammy Kemp if he could hug Amber Geiger, his brother's killer. And I was wanting to say no, but I couldn't. And then when he said the second please, I just felt like I could not deny him this. I thought it would be cathartic for him. I hoped it would be helpful for Ms. Geiger. Then Judge Kemp stepped off the bench to console Botham Jean's family. And I told them that I was happy to have learned about their son because he seemed to be an amazing individual. She says she looked around the courtroom and saw black and brown on one side and white on the other. So she turned to Geiger, not wanting her to feel neglected. And I just simply said to her, uh, Brent Jean has forgiven you. Please forgive yourself. She says Geiger asked her if she thought her life could still have purpose. And she asked me, did I think God would forgive her? And I said, yes, he will. And she said, well, I don't have a Bible. I don't own a Bible. And I don't know where to start. 
And that's when I said to her, I will get you a Bible. So she went to her chambers, got her Bible, and gave it to Geiger. She told her to turn to John 3.16, and they read the Bible together. She says Geiger asked her for a hug, not once, but twice. When I looked at her and saw how she was hurting, of course I agreed to give her a hug. And so we did. Judge Kemp repeatedly wiped away tears as she recounted those moments. She says she's confused that some people would criticize her for having this human moment. And I did feel led to give her a Bible because I did not want her to go back over to the jail and to become bitter and to not allow the seed that was planted not to be nurtured and brought to fruition. She says despite the fact that some people thought she overstepped her role as a judge, she says she would do the same thing again. In Dallas, I'm Rebecca Lopez. Amen. Church family, go and do likewise. What an example of someone who is a steward and ambassador of peacemaking. And so the lesson for us is, how can my life be used where God has me to bring peace? How can I bring peace into the room? And how can peace remain after I've left in the room? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What follows you? What are you leaving your wake? Is it peace? Or is it strife? This is an embassy of joy. And we are ambassadors of peace representing the Prince of Peace. So peacemaking is our vocation. The quest for peace leads us to the biblical story of peace, culminating in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Prince of Peace who sent his spirit of peace that the world might flourish through us. And so I pray that ancient prayer, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Church family, there is a garrison called the peace of God. The divine supermax facility meant to secure your heart in the protective custody of Christ. And it comes to us by way of the gospel. And the warden is Christ's own spirit. So do not be anxious about anything. But by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding will garrison your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Can someone say amen? Mm. Would you bow your heads? 
quiet your hearts now. Let's go before the Lord. Is there peace between you and God? Is there peace between you and another? Another? 